This is Revo On Air. Hello and welcome to Revo On Air, the show for placemaking insights, knowledge and thought leadership in a rapidly changing world. The retail property industry is changing. Arguably, we have never been in the midst of more challenges or perhaps more opportunities. We passionately believe in the power of collective thought and Revo is at the heart of the placemaking community during this dynamic period of change, helping the industry to thrive and prosper united as one. This season, our hosts will interview business leaders, writers, academics, policymakers, and others with interesting insights into the world of placemaking and retail. So now, on to this week's episode. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Samantha Sen. I'm the head of policy and campaigns at Revo. Welcome to episode number three of Revo On Air. We are back with a special series of episodes recorded live at our Revo conference and exhibition in Liverpool. It's the 18th of September 2019 as I'm recording this and I'm sitting in the fantastic Revo On Air mobile studio in the middle of a very soon to be buzzing exhibition hall. You may hear some of the hubbub from the conference in the background but we're very very thrilled to be here. Joining me in the pod today, we have Tom Whittington and Mark Garman-Jones from Savills. And in today's episode, we will be exploring some of their findings, key perspectives from their rather brilliant new publication, Reimagining Retail. So Mark has been at Savills for 25 years and heads the shopping centre and high street retail investment team. Mark specialises in investment sales and acquisitions with a focus in the retail market, particularly shopping centres. Tom is their Director of Retail Research at Savills and, amongst other things, specialises in store location strategies and consumer trends. We are really delighted to welcome both of you to our Revo conference and exhibition and very lucky to have some time to discuss this really brilliant piece of research. Welcome to the show, Mark and Tom. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Could you provide us with kind of why you guys wanted to do this research? Savills as a business has frankly been in the sort of urban regeneration and mixed-use advisory space for a long time now. And what we realised that the structural changes that were going on in retail were fundamentally going to have an impact for our clients. Mm. And we're very lucky and fortunate as our USP that we have a national coverage right across the country and across Europe in terms of seeing these trends and we're actually seeing the impact on from an occupational perspective. And what we realise is that we've got to be, there's some very creative and passionate people in this country that can really get us through some of this retail malaise that's been there and there's been some negative reporting. I think we wanted to sort of get through the myth that not all retail is dead at all. There's some great retail out there, mm-hmm. but actually there's some fundamentally that the way that the consumer and the way that the people use these spaces is really changing. What we really hope to do with this report was for it to act as almost like an industry-wide blueprint in terms of any sort of operator, developer, local authority could look at their space, look at their town, look at their city and see what they could really do with it. So we want to sort of get under the, the bonnet of the, the nuts and bolts, as it were, and then be able to help people drive their strategy forward. So that's really the background behind that's it. That's really fascinating. Is it, because Tom, you used the word earlier, it's almost like a toolkit. Is that correct to say that, you know, like Mark is saying, that it gives you that lay of the land? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we'll discuss in this yeah. podcast is the number of different things that you can actually do with yeah. space. And actually, it's exciting. And let's put it into context. 
So voids don't haven't really changed that much since before the financial crisis. It's so interesting. So we it, think about CVAs, we think about yeah. e-commerce as being a massive significant impact on space, but actually if we look at some of the long-term void space that's been around for the last 10 years, it has been around for longer. So it's a long-term structural change. Mm. Now clearly things like CVAs and e-commerce play a part and I think going forward we will see a further impact from that e-commerce you know if e-commerce accounts for about 20% of space it seems realistic that long term we're going to see a reduction of around about that space and if we add that to the sort of the 10 to 15% of voids that we've got long term now then maybe we're at 35% in fact if you ask landlords the general view is that we're probably about 40% overspaced nationally in the long term. Now, that sounds like a really scary prospect, and it's certainly one that I think as an industry we are concerned about, but we have to think about where those problems actually lie. Mm. And if, if it's a long-term structural change, what we're talking about is marginalised space that is often on the fringes of actually quite successfully performing retail space. If we take, think about high streets... They might have a successful retail core, and that fund that works quite well with fairly low vacancy rates. Yeah. And in those more secondary marginalised spaces, maybe some of those spaces are just not really appropriate for today's retailing. And it's what we do with that space that is really the, the bones of a, what a lot of this report is around. Mm. The other thing to note is that not everywhere is the same. So there are some very high-performing shopping centres, and there are those that are... That's really key, I think, the message. There's no generalisation around this yeah. in terms of the themes. It's, it's really important, that Tom. I think you know, every town is different. Even though they have face similar characteristics, what works and doesn't work is very different. Mm. And obviously what we must say is that this obviously also applies... This, research we've done isn't just all about shopping centres this is about the high streets it's about the department stores it's about the retail parks as well mm. where we're working so it's all kinds of, of mm. space within, within the space so. that's really fascinating um so then in terms of sort of big illuminating issues in that research is there anything else Jan, that you'd want to get across to our listeners before you know we delve into the repurposing debate well i think the i think those vacancy figures are are the are the key point you know if we are getting to a, a point where we're yeah. going to see a significant significantly reduced need for retail space the question is what we do with it and when we've been talking about the whole yeah. point about repurposing i mean let's be clear repurposing of space has been going on for decades you know we're located right here in a part of liverpool that is actually prime repurposing space mm. we're right next to the albert dock that's from the early 80s that's that was actually warehouse space going to retail so repurposing has been around for a long time it's just at the moment the structural changes within retail the lack of uh, a significant number of expanding retailers means that we need to think about these alternative uses and the thing to be really clear on is before we think well repurposing means losing space and therefore retail's dead that's not the case repurposing of retail space or reducing the amount of excess retail space can actually be really strong and powerful for the retail that remains you know you think about adding in a daytime population or a nighttime population people working people going for social and community reasons as we'll address what you're actually doing is creating some kind of footfall mm. and that can be really really exciting and powerful for the uh, the retail that actually remains and as a totally urban creature that sounds really exciting it feels like you know creating vibrancy in all of its facets is becoming much more key 
Yeah, definitely. I don't have, a lot of people have gone about experiences. Yeah. You know, that's one element. But actually, it I is. I seem to be broke from all the experiences I'm buying at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think a lot of it is about work, work and play. It's the work and play environment. Yeah. That's a one stop shop, as it were, people, yeah. what they, people expect. And I think what we're trying, you know, what the other element is that we're trying to get across is that whilst there's been some very negative reporting and there's a lot of people that some people feel there's a lot of denial going on and what we say in this report is like the five stages of grief you go through denial anger bargaining depression acceptance and action and we're really now what we're really showing here that there is everyone's gone through that many mm. people have those are still at denial really need to move forward and that people were very pleased to see so many people who are really accepting the situation and really taking action. Um, Mark, that's really interesting, you know, articulating almost the emotional journey that different stakeholders are going through as these changes are taking place. And we can come back onto that when we talk about maybe some of those things that you guys are seeing. But I wanted to come back to some of the terminology and some of these kinds of the way you guys are thinking about this space and this kind of real estate. So just in terms of repositioning and repurposing, can you guys take us through your thoughts on that and yeah, so illuminate our listeners a bit? So I mentioned before how repurposing itself isn't a new thing. No. But right. to try and put it into a sensible context, if we think about repositioning hmm. space as being something that you stay within the consumer space, so maybe you improve the retail leisure offer or bring in community or markets, right. and repurposing is when those options have perhaps been exhausted and then you're thinking about alternative uses. But one thing we wanted to address within the report on the negativity around repurposing, actually if you take away the re, you end up with something much more positive. So it's we think so about powerful. reimagine, repurpose, reshape, mm. redesign, recreate, revitalize, redevelop, replace, rethink, re-engage, recycle. Yeah. You know, we were just saying, but surely for people, those that use real estate, that's a good thing that real estate changes as people and communities change. That's and that's ultimately what consumers want. Yeah. And I think the market needs to accept that consumers constantly want things to evolve anyway. Yeah. So it's not just that it's driven by technology. Of course, that plays a part. It's not just that it's driven by certain trends, but consumers like a new, fresh offer. Yeah. So that repositioning is really important because I think it's a message we want to get across is mm -hmm. that that's a lot of the, the, the clients and owners and people we work with who really focus on the reposition and making a real difference, you know, and, and there is there is life out there in the retail and leisure environment, as, as we say in the report, and the, the, the repurposing and the elements of that come, you know, may have to come later for certain schemes, yeah. but there is, you know, some really, as I say, that creativity uh, she's coming forward to really make these places special for people. And do you think that makes a difference as we talk about, you know, we'll go into talking about skins, do you think it's that attitude, it's about being positive and understanding that actually putting your best foot forward and driving change through those positive ways, that's really the key to sort of going through this change? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, listen, we, we are under, you know, fundamentally understand there's a financial element mm. to this and a lot of people look at the sort of returns and they might be fi financial returns. But I think what we've been encouraged is in some respects, particularly with local authority input, is looking at social returns. Yeah. They're taking a far longer term view. It's not a five year or three year model. You know, let's make this work for, for generations. And that's really powerful and, re and really exciting that people do that. The, the, the challenge is trends change. And so where you're going along, you think, you're right, let's go and do that, and it can adapt. But moving, we hope that this document will allow people to understand what they need to do 
be able to implement it and engage with their stakeholders, of which there are many, including local authorities. Yeah. It might be their funders, uh, etc., their shareholders, but to understand it, to help them get from that A to B on a reposition very quickly, mm. or if it has to be the B to C for repurposing, again quicker. Can we talk about some of those case studies that you have found as really interesting from those stakeholders who are doing things positively um, and your perspective on different parts of the market? I love the whole food hall proposition. I, think I love the food hall. I mean, it's clearly very current. Um, and if we think about the kind of locations a lot of these uh, companies are going into, mm. so whether it's um, in Plataea, which is in Madrid, where they've mm. taken an old theatre, which just looks absolutely incredible. Um, we've got examples in Barcelona. We've got examples in Portugal. There's places all over the place. And there's loads of those now coming to the UK. We've got three more to open this year in London. Mm. Um, but it's not just about London and the South East. We're seeing some really good examples of food halls opening in other places. So one I really like is the Stretford Food mm. Hall, which is opened by Simply Fresh. Um, they've recognised the need that a shopping centre that was perhaps a little bit unloved and a bit marginalised because of the competition yeah. has the opportunity to create something that is beneficial to, the cons- uh, to local communities by bringing in this social space. And people really engage with that. Um, Quarterbridge have opened in Doncaster. They've revitalised the market. Um, And it's very important to remember that all people are aspirational in some way. All people like good quality food and ingredients and locally sourced things. It isn't just an affluent-based thing. And when you can provide something in an affordable way, you get a lot of engagement from from local communities. And that, therefore, drives footfall and is really good for regenerating the areas around those markets. So many questions. I feel like I want to talk about local authorities and social value. <laughs> Can we talk about local authorities a bit? Like at the conference, we have a you know, strong profile, a lot more local authorities joining in and wanting to be part of this community. What's your perspective on their involvement in retail real estate? Do you think that will continue? I, I think it's key. Yeah. Uh, I think it's key because they, as I say, they look at a different approach mm-hmm. and a longer term approach. Uh, and they, uh, as, a, as, a, as the most important stakeholder in my view, have the influence of what their town can or city can be shaped towards. And we've seen some, you know, how Liverpool has become and Manchester and other cities. Uh, and Wahidi very kindly contributed to our report here from Birmingham. Just the huge influence they have had on the inward investment into those cities and towns is key. And so having, they need to obviously have the right team uh, around them. They need to uh, obviously go into it fully briefed and understanding obviously the risks of it and the timeline, things that happen overnight. But I think they are a very, very powerful element to ultimately the success of any town or council starts from the centre. You start working, you get it where it bubbles out, then mm. more businesses will come, more people will want to live there, etc., etc., and become ultimately those councils as businesses, which have to you know, stand up on their uh, two feet more and more, become more successful. And I think that's really, really powerful. So there's some incredibly powerful leaders uh, in that industry. Yeah. And it does take leadership. And unfortunately, in the world of, you know, the B word, I said I wasn't going to say it, but there you go. Um, We need that powerful leadership within within politics to take things forward. And um, I say it's really, really important. It feels like it's a time when, 
you know, the interests of different sorts of stakeholders are aligning. Like you're saying that the industry is starting to think about those longer term social trends and why those things are important to the success of commercial real estate. Yeah, I, th- I think, I, you know, a lot of developers in the private sector, I think we're going to see a lot more public-private partnership mm. around this. And because they absolutely need those private sector skills yeah. and experience to make this thing happen, because yeah. ultimately, you know, development has risks associated with it. So therefore, they need that skills. But I think you're absolutely right. There is that alignment. And we, we haven't seen it for a long time. And it's great when a lot of elements are slightly fractured that people can come together and, and do that. But it's so important, frankly, because the councils need to know that they've got those sort of partners on board to give them the confidence to go and do it as well. Yeah. And if you've got top, you know, whether it be a REIT, an institution or a developer willing to come to your town, that is very, very powerful and, and, and you know, a, a big help for, for, for those decision makers when they go into their, their council committees. So do you think there's kind of a dual emotional relation, uh, sort of journey going on with the industry kind of coming to terms with what's happening in retail and local authorities maybe thinking about how they become these kind of really powerful leaders in driving that kind of development? Yeah, I think I think they do. I think there's some. I mean, if we look at you know, say where Heed and Birmingham has been amazing. You look at Ray Morgan in Woking and what mm. they've achieved there. We've been involved with that project, and we're very proud. I mean, it's incredible what people have have achieved in some of these very proactive councils. Yeah. And the message will spread, you know, yeah. un- undoubtedly. And I get, you know, when you have council elections, and that's probably you know faulted some people on the on the journey, but they, they need to be committed in terms of how they get there. So we've seen some very powerful leadership and it's going to be fantastic and I say the private sector you know are delighted to get involved in that because both of those have like talk about sustainability we talk about social returns and financial returns there's a lot of people looking at development saying well it's got to be sustainable for me as well Mm. and that again is becoming more and more that socially aware uh, element and obviously it's not all about Obviously, retail is in some cases it's creating those uses that you know retirement living and all and education, which we you know, sort of the, the bookends of our, yeah. of our uh, country are really really important. And yeah. so there's a lot of the bits in between. You guys also explore some of those other uses, correct, in your report. If you are looking at changing perhaps um, the amount of retail you have, what those other uses could well, it be? It could be, be literally anything. Yeah. You know, so in the report, we explore residential, we explore workspace, education, student living, retirement living, mm. uh, hotels, markets, um, medical. Yeah. So, you know, all of these things play a part. And actually, if you think about what all of these things actually share is that they bring people to those centres. Mm-hmm. And I said earlier, if you can enhance the, the daytime or nighttime population in some way, then you're enhancing the demand for the retail space that's there too. And let's not forget that town centres aren't just retail. And I know a lot of people say that now, and it's actually true, but it's something that we kind of lost over the last two decades was the idea that, you know, town centre first was all about saving the retail. And I think councils have still got some way to go with understanding that actually some of that retail can be let go for the greater good of creating other opportunities. And it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some other elements. I mean, one of the case studies that we touch on actually in the report is actually yeah. the Southampton Eagle Labs, which the Alandi guys have done. Yes. And that's a really interesting element to that. I, I, I like that because, A, you've got a corporate owner in mm. Barclays that has surplus space, and you've got the university who are all about creativity and talent, and you've got the, the council who are keen to make that talent stay. And you know, at the end of the day, people invest in the town, you know, in, the, in these students, they want them to, to stay. And to have that combination to create a sort of co-working environment 
where creative minds can get together is really great. So the solutions and benefits to all those stakeholders in that process, which is yeah, exciting. It just works perfectly, it does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. For that, for that place, I, I think that we'll, I definitely think we'll see more and more like that. of that going forward, and that's why you know we talk about council, but universities as well, are, you know, very influential here in Liverpool. There's obviously so many sh- uh, students, and a lot of I say education has been a key theme that's coming out. And surely isn't that the way, part of the way to also make sure your communities in real estate is fit for purpose, is having stakeholders who are influential part of that decision making and shaping it? Definitely. I mean, I think it gives an opportunity for, the, for, for those talented people. So whether it be a fashion show yeah. or, or whether people, someone who's involved in economics or you know, inward investment and things like that and business. Most city councils and councils full staff are focused on trying to keep that re- retention of that talent. That's really, really mm. important. Rather than everyone thinking they need to go to London, you know, say so we need these these great people yeah. you know, dotted all over the country. We've talked quite broadly about some of the themes and key stakeholders. Can you illuminate us on any schemes or stakeholder-led projects that are really exciting you both at the moment? Well, I say I think we've got to look back. We've been involved in some great schemes. We've been involved in Westfield uh, Shepherd's Bush, oh, which has been, you know, uh, amazing. Um, we've, I say, we've been involved with what's been going on uh, at Woking. But I think currently we're really excited by some of these really great schemes that are going. We've been involved with Edinburgh St James's on behalf of the investors, which opens up next year, which has obviously been talked about today. Huge variety of uses of that, completely transforming you know, a great city centre uh, and it's very exciting. But also we're seeing a lot of projects, we are working with the likes of Into, Sovereign Central, Salandi and others mm. on their projects. But I think a really quite interesting one is, is uh, Maidenhead, which is going on at the moment, the Nicholson Centre. And the real amount of activity and real energy that's coming from people the Aureli team that are involved in that who are really looking to transform that town centre so there's lots of interesting examples there but there's some you know past you know present and actually some future schemes there as well that's fantastic so a couple that I really like is around the repurposing of of space that has actually become marginalised so it's thing about department stores it's quite topical and there are some really good examples of uh, department stores in prime locations so we've got the Jenners in Edinburgh being converted into a national mis- yeah. whiskey museum Ooh, we've got uh, the BHS and Oxford Circus which is uh, a market hall and a, mm. and a uh, swingers but they're in prominent locations and one that I really like is uh, so take Commune in Sheffield Sheffield City Centre has struggled in many ways for many years in the shadow of Meadowhall it's, um, and the department store, the cooperative department store that Commune have taken on has been in a marginalised space for quite some time, yeah. lack of investment, lack of footfall, lack of consumer and tenant interest. So Commune have gone in, they've created a food hall, there's a shared workspace there, this is a development from North Point Developments and we're now seeing the revival of uh, some of the high streets nearby, so there is increased tenant demand in the area, similar to what we saw in Altrincham after Altrincham yeah. Market. So when we see a new use going in that actually has a positive impact on the streets around it, that's really what repurposing is all about. That's really fast. Can I ask one more question, just because <laughs> I've got you both oh. with me? But do you think that's the way things are going? Like that, sort of different stakeholders are coming together to work out what are those enabling. Um, schemes, the ones that unlock, you know, as you're saying, Tom, sort of where, you know, things have been challenging for some time. Do you think that's quite important, finding that fit and mix of use? Well, it's important to remember, I mean, we talked about local authority investment, but local authorities aren't developers. Yeah. So quite often they need 
the advice and support from developers, um, planners mm. and other stakeholders in order to get things off the ground. Okay. Is there anything else that you'd l- want to impart to our listeners about? One thing that research? I think is really, really important that we yeah. relay is that we're not saying that this works everywhere, yeah. but we think there is a solution of some sort in most places. You know, if we think about a lot of that marginalised space that I talked about earlier, a lot of that is in quite challenging locations mm. where the viability of an alternative use is definitely challenging. The fundamental fact is that that space will have to change to something at some point in the future because otherwise it will just stay vacant for a long time and serve no social value. Um, That means local local government intervention. It probably requires national government intervention and funding, which is obviously difficult, but that's ultimately what's going to have to happen in some of the more gritty locations. And finally, Tom and Mark, we like to all ask all of our guests um, here on Revo On Air to name someone who has been most inspiring and influential in your career and to tell us why. I'm going to be naughty and name three. Tom <laughs> <Come laughs> and Mark. Um, so I, I, the first person I must meet is a guy called Don McGuinness, who no one will have ever heard of. <laughs> but was a surveyor and, uh, and the dad of a friend of mine when I was at school, who I played cricket with. He was a good friend of my dad. He was a great character. He was great fun. Uh, and I really enjoyed his company. And he's the guy who inspired me to go into property at the age of 14. Wow. I was very lucky. And um, because of his influence and help and support, I, I got, went into property. But I've been very fortunate to have two other mentors during my career. Um, first, When I first joined Savills, a guy called Richard Gamlin, who was fantastic, mm. brilliant client man. And then another guy, a guy called James Dean, who Tom will know as well, who's still one of Savills' founding fathers. Yeah. Uh, absolute live wire, complete character, but really inspiring guy. And I think we're very lucky, the industry that we work in, and to have those sort of influences in my career has been really important. They all sound amazing. Tom, can I ask you? Well, obviously, Mark. <laughs> here, um, of course. <laughs> But uh, I, I'm going to be slightly broader, I suppose, and think mm. about, so what I've got really excited about, and I know this sounds a bit cheesy, it's tying into the themes that we've been talking mm. about, but as a retail analyst, I have been kind of seeing the way things are going now for the last 15 years. Yeah. And what I've always really, what's always really enthused me with, is the social values piece. Now, there's various schemes that have been happening around the country that have looked at this for some time. You and I are doing a great project yeah. at Mayfield. Yeah. And it's where you see developers that are trying to just do more than just create a standalone scheme, but they're trying to create place. You know, it's what Urban Splash have been doing now for 30 odd years. And it's those kind of developments that I think are particularly interesting. I'm sure lots of people will be really interested in getting hold of the research. So I think we can put links and contacts to yourselves in the show notes. Thank you, gents, for your time. That has been absolutely amazing. My pleasure.